Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. We've been in business for a long time and doing data science for a long time. And so we have a, a pretty decent breadth of knowledge of hmm. how to get companies to do it, where to start, how to finish, um, oh, how to hire. Yeah. It's, it's really whatever rabbit hole you want to go down. I love talking about this stuff. So this <laughs> is my passion. Lovely. And lovely. I think it's nice to hear what other people. Yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite things is to go to the conferences here in America. So we'll have a predictive analytics world, which I guess actually is in Europe uh, too, but there's one in San Francisco. Um, and to listen to what they're doing, not so much the modeling. No. I don't know if the modeling's changed all that much in 10 years. No. But uh, other than what we what used to take us weeks and months, now I can basically find on Wikipedia and do in an enterprise level software in hours. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Some of the platforms, the data IQs, the data robots, the Alteryx, the, the even the Tableaus with Tableau Prep. Uh, some of that stuff has allowed us to do to move mountains of data to see insights in minutes. You know, I love the, in data IQ especially, it says, what model do you want to run? And there's a little checkbox at the top and you click <laughs> it and it says, run all. Yeah. And you're like, and you go, run all? Thank you, people who wrote thank this you. software. <laughs> it's awesome. So yeah. what's really changed though is the, um, is the, we, you know, we went from solving billion dollar problems and really quite frankly doing it, uh, people were doing it to be sexy. They were doing it to yeah. get promoted. Yeah. Uh, now, enterprise level data science has reached the small, you know, it, it's a, it's the minimum to be successful in business. Mm -hmm. And that is fundamentally changing how we do data science. It's now not a project. It's no longer a, uh, a version one prototype piece of software. It is now a philosophical endeavor to implement data-driven decision-making across all six or eight divisions of your company, Right. that is a totally different ball of wax than what it was five years ago when we were just playing with one division, one person, one budget, one yeah. data set, and solving one problem inside of marketing or one problem inside of operations. Mm. That's not the case anymore. It's you, all you interdependent, take, and inter, interdependent and interwoven now, yeah? Yeah, and, and really it's a, it is a, it's a philosophy that you have to adopt without any care as to what the ROI is. The projects each have individual ROI, mm -hmm. but the, we have to make decisions based on data and sometimes the first three or four versions of that have no ROI. The ROI is you get to stay in business. And that that's really hard for companies that, well, we're spending $100,000 on this. What kind what of ROI gonna are you going to give me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was talking I'm to going to allow you to stay in business. That's what your ROI is. Exactly. I was talking to a client year. last week. Who just had just started? His, I think he's a year into setting up his data analytics practice within the business, and they went to some conference and had 
an ex-Facebook person who basically said, if you're not analysing your data, you are basically, you'll be out of business in three years. He said, I couldn't have had anybody set me up better because it's kind of, everybody's going, nah, we don't need it. We don't need it. Why have we got you? Why have we got you? And then this guy goes, hey, you'll be out of business in three years, maybe five. Well, if you don't. I've been telling people you have one chance, your next CEO yeah. has to be somebody who to uh, command data-driven decision-making from the top down. Because if you hire a CEO that isn't an old-school CEO that relies on wisdom and uh, gut feeling, by the time you get to the next CEO after that person, him or her, five to ten years from now, it'll be too late. Yeah. Um, You will never catch up. The logarithmic scale will always be a mile ahead of you. Yeah. And there's just, and people don't get that. They don't understand that this, this next decision, these next vice presidents that you promote, this next president that you hire, that's your only shot at this. Yeah. Um, and they, they really don't get it. Um, some of them do. Uh, we have some companies in the Midwest that, that really get it. I mean, the Midwest, the, I don't know, do you guys have Walmart? No, we Walmart don't have Walmart, is. but we know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Walmart and the Targets of the world, which are based out of the Midwest, Targets out of Minneapolis, Walmart's out of Arkansas, they've been doing data science for years and years and years and years. Of and they're they they're yeah. light years ahead of everybody else. And yeah. only the Amazons of the world can catch up. And that's only because, one, they have bottomless money, but two, they're doing data science on a scale that no one's done before. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, I don't know, I, I get that too, where companies are like, we don't need this, we're just fine, we're making money. I'm like, oh, now you, you are. Do. I, you are now, but you're, you've peaked out if you don't, if yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. do this going forward. So you're a bit of a data science evangelist then, are you? You go out and try and convert everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, I tell people all the time, this is a religion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, evangelist is the right word. Um, <laughs> I sometimes feel like a, one of those revival evangelists yeah. with the big tent and the shiny suits. Yeah. Uh, that's what it's going to take to get people on board. Yeah. It's going to take some faith healers um, yeah. to, uh, to get some of these companies to come around. Yeah. And look, and it, I think it's, it's coming up in all different things. I interviewed on the podcast, let me get his name right. It's gone out of my head. Travels around the states and speaks to accountants. Oh, this is embarrassing, isn't it? But anyway, he was talking about talking to fraud people, saying we can use data will help you do fraud detection much faster, much quicker than what you're doing now. And you know that's his whole. That's all he does is just travel around. I will work out what his name is. I'm so sorry, uh, but yeah, it's like. Accounting needs it, you know, sales need it, retail needs it, telcos need it, banks. There's nobody who doesn't have data that could basically need it. But, yeah, mm, the latest. I, I, really, I really feel like we're coming to a point very quickly where it is the minimum to do business. Yeah. Like you have to do it in any size of company, startup to Fortune 50, yeah. have to make data-driven decisions. Because if your competitors do it, they're moving faster, they're doing, uh, they're, they're making products or making decisions less expensively, yeah. and they're making better decisions. It's literally all three. The cheaper, better, faster, they're mm. doing all three. Yeah. And 
if you're slower, dumber, and more expensive, you're just going to get eaten. Yeah. And in fact, they won't even want your business. It's not like they're going to buy you. No. They'll just take your business. Yeah, yeah. They'll just uh, poach it. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody's the, like, well, they'll just buy us. We'll be happy. I'm like, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. They don't <laughs> want your business. <laughs> so um, in order to do this, though, you've got to have the right kind of data analyst, the right kind of data science. How do you, what, what are the criteria you think make a good data person? Man, that's a loaded question, isn't it? It is. Um, you can say as many words about it as you like. Let's break it down into parts. <laughs> so if you ask, we have 38 companies in Omaha that are doing data science. Yeah. Um, we are a pretty tight-knit community. We have about 200, 250 data scientists in Omaha. Yeah. Um, we are actively trying to be the largest data science community east of Silicon Valley, which is a huge undertaking, and we will probably never get there, but, but it's a goal. aim high, aim high. Yeah. Uh, so even if you ask any of the 35 to 40 heads of data science that are kind of in Omaha, you're going to get 35 to 40 different answers. Oh. Um, but we started a school uh-huh. uh, to train data scientists. Not, not to replace a uni, but more to um, re-skill some of the people that are doing, that are dabbling in data science. I, it was really interesting. I was at Predictive Analytics World in San Francisco in 2015. Uh-huh. And a guy stood up on stage and said, hey, how many of you guys, and there was probably 400 people in the room, how many of you guys have a data science degree? Nobody's hands went up because data science degrees were like two years old, a year old at the time. Yeah. There were two or three colleges in the United States that had them. He said, okay, how many of you guys have a degree other than math or computer science? And half of the hands went up. Yes. We came from every every degree but math and computer science, geology, biology, chemistry, English, literature, art, tons of art degrees. Uh, And so what... We said when we started our little online data academy, uh, the Omaha Data Science Academy, I'll put in a, a plug. Yeah. Send me the um, link, yeah. Is, it'll be on the, it'll yeah. be in the show notes, yeah. What, what we said was, okay, we've got to come up with a definition because, well, we are training people. So we said, okay, what makes data science special from computer science? What makes it special from math? What makes it special from business intelligence? And we really decided that, a true data scientist, the reason that they're so rare and the reason that they're so expensive is that they are commanding four kind of silos of information. We're being asked to do four different things that really are their own degrees in university. It's a programmer. Mm -hmm. So Python programming, R programming, getting data, uh, building web applications to use data. It is is programming. Uh It is database. It is getting data in, getting data out, data manipulation and management. Uh, they say that 60 to 70% of any project for a data science project is data manipulation management. It's all data. Yeah. So a huge part of a data scientist is data. Um, it is math and statistics, no doubt, um, which is its own degree in college. Uh-huh. And then it is visualization. It is art. It is design. And yeah. that's where a lot of, that's why a lot of math individuals who came from math really struggle with data science 
is because we are presenting very technical math, math, data, and programming to mm -hmm. non-technical people, and that takes really pretty pictures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so data science is, I think, in my humble opinion, the combination of those four things, programming, database, math, statistics, and data visualization or art. Yeah. And it is for that reason that my guys, I pay them exorbitant amounts of money because I have to. I have to, yeah, to, to get the type of people who can do that kind of stuff. So it's, and look, you can have in a room yeah. uh, a programmer, a, date, a DBA, uh, a statistician or a mathematical modeler and a uh, data visualization, and you still won't get done what you need to get done. So it's not just having the four people represented. It's having someone who understands all four at the same time. Yeah. That is important. That's tough. How do you test for that? Uh, you know, so I look for people who are comfortable being out of knowledge. Right. So okay. yep. There's an interesting group of people that that they solve problems inside of their knowledge. I have this little box of knowledge yeah. and I will solve a problem to the best of my ability with the knowledge I have. We're dealing with companies and we're dealing with, um, we're dealing with types of business construction, right? Construction is the oldest business on the planet. Yeah. There's a Japanese company that was invented. It's BC. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, if they haven't solved it by now, it can't be solved with traditional methods. No. It's going to take someone who is using knowledge that is from other different verticals. It's going to take someone who's comfortable saying, I don't know what the answer is. Let me go explore mm. other ways of thinking about problems yeah. that I've not been taught. Yeah. And those are rare birds. They really are. The, 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 the men and women who are good at thinking outside the box are a different breed. Yeah. Um, I, I liken it to if I put a million dollars in my office and I lock the door and I told 50 people that million dollars is yours. Uh, if you can get to the to the briefcase, 49 of them would walk up, try the door, find it locked and go home. Yeah. And one of them would say. It's a million dollars, right? Yeah. And and it's mine if I get it. Yeah. And they'd say, cool. And they'd go get a chainsaw and cut a hole in the wall. Yeah. Go and get the million dollars and then peel me off a thousand bucks and be like, here, go fix your wall. Yeah. <laughs> Those types of people are really different. They think really different. They think outside the box. They're not traditional thinkers. And those are the types of people that are really good at data science. Yeah. They're the non-traditional outside the box I'm okay with not knowing what the answer is. I've got to go learn something to solve your problem type of people. So, so I, I ask, I ask yeah. that question a lot. Uh, I ask questions very similar to that to try and figure out how do they think and trying to figure out do so, they have that grit. So you're setting them that kind of problem rather than a data problem. I mean, we're assuming that they've got the data skills or they wouldn't be applying for the job in the first place. So you set them more. We do test the data. We do test that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I give them a visualization problem to do and whatever program that they want to do it in. We give yeah. them a data set and try and predict for X, Y, and Z. 
Uh, we Which give, is we simple tell enough. Them to build a there's, a, and, there's a right answer and a yeah. wrong answer, but it's the actual style yeah, the, the and skills I can approach. test for. That's easy. Um, not it's not easy, but I can test for it, and yeah. I can come up with: Are you a level one through five in any of your skills? It's that other piece, the 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 personality piece that is the hardest, I think, to yeah. test for. And it's part that we're still struggling with ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out how do we, and I can, I can sit down with somebody and tell you that they're going to be a good data scientist or not, but quantifying that, which is, you know, our entire job, yeah. uh, trying to figure out how to quantify that has eluded, I think, the industry. Uh, we're getting better. There's yeah. some psychologists out there that have invented some tests to try and figure out how likely you are a certain type of profile or personality. Um, so we're getting better, but yeah. it, that's, that's the hard part still. Yeah, yeah. Are there particular personality profiles that you find helpful in that way? Or um, Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I can name them off the top of my head. I can uh, see them on my computer screen, <laughs> but I don't know that uh, – so are you talking about things uh, like the Myers-Briggs typology indicator or the Enneagram or DISC or something So it's else? not the DISC and it's not, uh, you know, Gallup, which is kind of the worldwide organization that's based here. Um, they've actually got one. It's not their traditional Gallup one. They actually have one for entrepreneurship now. Yes, I've seen um, that. Yeah, that one's actually a pretty good test uh, of your creative ability. Um so I like that one. Uh, it, I think it's Myers-Briggs, although I say that and it doesn't sound right. Well, the Myers-Briggs. The, the gal that helps me do that is probably screaming at the computer right now, the answer. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Stephanie, that I don't know the answer. Well, that's okay. Um, we'll talk and then I'll put a link to the one that you like. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. That'll but keep me out of hot water. Ultimately, all of these things are... Uh, helps. The thing, uh, I'm going to kind of go a bit off piece here because it's not one of my questions, yeah. but I've been noticing that when I ask data scientists about the data, they talk about the needs to have, you know, to have d- data-based decision-making. And all the HR research is showing us that our our gut feel in recruiting people is actually the wrong way to recruit. But most of them oh, say, yeah. oh, I know, I know a good data science, scientist when I see one. I'm like, hang on a second, are you making that same gut feel? thing but because it's you it's therefore okay and valid to just recruit the person that by gut feel you think is right it's kind of this there's, there's you know i'm sure you know what i mean. I, I think well right now hr is broken mm-hmm. uh, and i think everyone agrees that hr is broken the the whole throwing uh resumes down a hole there was an hbr article that just came out uh, the harvard business review yeah. about how Men, if they're 60%, uh, if they have 60% of the bullet points in a, in a job description, we, we think it's good enough. Yeah. Women uh, need much higher numbers before, they, before yeah. they consider themselves good enough. And HR has been known to, well, let's ask for the world, uh, and then we'll figure out, then we can rank everybody for it. Well, that's great, except you've just eliminated <laughs> half of the population feeling like they can actually apply for things. Yeah. Um, I think you also have a problem mm-hmm. with we used to equate years of service at, in the how we, so five years in business meant that you had this skill set. It was really the only way we could test for it. Mm. 
and it doesn't mean what you think it means anymore. Uh, you have high school kids that have built a thousand websites who they don't, HR people will say, well, you can't count that because it was before college. What? Why not? You have, uh, I don't know. Uh, but they, they, they feel like we well, don't have any business experience. No, no. I've owned a business since seventh grade. I've built a thousand websites. I am way ahead of anybody coming out of college that has built five in their classroom. But yet I don't have a degree and the college guy who's built five has a degree and they'll take that person. And it's, and it's, I get it. But at the same time, I don't, (laughs) that's not that, that welcome to the world where we have to start testing for skills. And I still don't see uh, people who have a very good handle on how do you test for Python? How do you test how good you are at Python? How do you test how good you are at SQL manipulation? Um, I just see five years experience doing SQL, PhD, wanted, masters uh, at a minimum. And I, and I say, well, I get that. You want, you want to equate that to knowledge, but you, what you really want is someone who is a level three at SQL hmm. and they're not actually asking for that. In fact, they're asking not they're they're actively not asking things that would get them that. Yeah. Yes. So it's fascinating to see. It's fascinating. I think there's a reckoning coming in HR. Uh, a oh, good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Because well, there's a there's a reckoning coming in a whole heap of organizations because they're not using data. Yeah. <laughs> It's like there's going to be. You should write. You should write a, like a like a manifest. Have you got a manifesto? A manifesto. That's an interesting write. term. We can write um, a manifesto. <laughs> we did just write a book on how to manage data scientists. Yeah. Uh, how to lead a data driven organization by Gordon Summers, which is uh, which is our head of data science here. Yep. And part of that is our manifesto. Part of that is how do we see the world needing to implement data science, not just as a project, but as a whole different uh, species of employee. Welcome to the world of hiring people who binge work. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to hiring artists because they're not, you can't manage them agilely. They're not, they're not, one tenth done on a five day project uh, after they're, well, they're not one fifth done on a five day project after one day. No, they may have eight models that they've tried that don't work. So in their head, they're zero percent done. But Agile says, well, you should be ten percent done. Now you're behind. Yeah, and that's that's a problem. That's a problem when managers don't understand that. Okay, do you want accuracy or precision? Wait, what? No, no, you have to, it's your decision. I can give you either and I don't care, but you need to tell me, do you want accuracy or precision? Yeah. And they say, I don't know the difference. And you're like, that's <laughs> your entire job as a manager of the data science team is to, is to tell me whether you want all of the bad people or just an accurate version of the bad people, but you missed some. Uh, and it, it, it blows my mind. So we had to write a we had to write a book on it. Yeah, and it was yeah. the only way we could get it out of our head so that we could talk about it. Yeah. Um, so in a way, we've written a manifesto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's all a book is for, right? Because let's face it, 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 the people who read it are the only ones who read it. You can't and you can't force people to read books. 
No, but as, as a data scientist, we had to get it out of our heads so that we could think about other stuff. Exactly. It's like, here is the, here is the thing. And that's, that's, I think, the most useful thing about writing a book is it gets it clear in your mind and the minds of the people with whom you work because you get on the same, literally on the same page, page 23, here's how to, yeah. blah, blah. Um, okay, now let me see. I've got high, hundreds of questions to ask you. Uh, of course. Yeah. How do you work smarter? What are the things you personally do to work smarter? Uh, what are your routines? I'm a big fan of hire really great people and then get out of their way. <laughs> I uh, love that. I manage a lot differently than a lot of other people. I have I have amazing talent at contemporary analysis. I am got to be the luckiest uh, president on the planet. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I sit in the room at four o'clock sometimes and the meetings and I look around the room and think, wow, I'm the, I'm the dumbest person in this room. Oh, um, that's a feeling you wouldn't have had very often in your humbling, life. Very yeah. humbling. Yeah. Um, but I hire really good people and I do that because, uh, and then I do that because it takes really good people and really good talent to, to find solutions to some of these problems. But then I run interference. So, I used to think when we first started this company, I used to think my job was to keep um, the data scientists out of people's hair. Right. But it's actually to keep people out of data scientists' hair. (laughs) It's it's not to protect the people, which is what I thought it was. It's to protect my data scientists. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because, oh, I said that backwards. It's It's not to protect my data scientists. It's actually to protect the people because- Data scientists, um, they, they're a different type of employee, and you can't interrupt them all the time. You can meeting them to death. If you, if you give them a really hard problem, they will sit and think about something for 10 minutes. And if you interrupt them with another question because you can't handle dead space in the meeting, they're done. They can't go back to that problem. Yeah. So it's my job to run interference. It's to protect my data scientists from those people. Um, and basically have random conversations that have nothing to do with anything while my data scientist figures out the question you just asked them, smoke rolling out of their ears, ah. as they ponder the great philosophies of the world and try and, and figure out how in the world they're going to solve problems. I've got to keep the other people out of their hair and away from them. To give them uh, I also... It's, it's interesting because a lot of people don't understand that data scientists will come up with a, you ask them a question, they will come up with a solution. And if you they don't implement it, they get mad. Yeah. They mad sometimes. Yeah. Um, they don't understand the politics of some of what they invent. Yeah. I, 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 had, I had a data scientist uh, basically tell me one time, data scientists are inherently destructive. Okay. So, What's interesting about a data scientist is interesting about a data scientist is they will solve a problem without any regard to emotional cost or politics or should they, you know, hey, I automated half of your job. Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, I thought it could be done. I saw it could be done, so I went ahead and do it. Did it last night at two in the morning. So congratulations, you're not freed up to go do more work. And they go, what? I didn't. (laughs) But you're not supposed to automate. I didn't want you to automate my job. Cool. Well, I did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I was bored. Yeah. And so if you don't give data scientists enough work, 
Don't ever let a data scientist be bored in your company. They will start solving problems you didn't know you <laughs> had and certainly didn't want solved. <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, they'll just start pointing out that, hey, did you know your head of marketing is marketing to people that uh, aren't our best customers? Wait, what? No, you can't say that in a meeting. <laughs> you have to... Like, that's politically. Slowly. <laughs> yeah, you, that gets you walk to the door, um, and so it's it is it is interesting. The the manager's job uh, really is to to kind of separate the two very different thought processes and make sure that both are successful. Um, make sure that that the data scientists get the level of kind of uh, uh, disassociation that they need yeah. and the the managers and management get get the non-technical versions of, of things and when they don't implement it the data scientists don't just storm out right but there's that that real that buffer in between and that's actually one of the harder jobs is is the buffer mm. um, understanding both data science which in and of itself is hard enough but understanding yeah. business enough. And that's why I really think that you have most of these companies will hire a PhD mathematician out of university to be their first head of data science. Now that individual is probably very smart. That individual is probably very good at data science. That individual is probably really poor at business acumen and yeah. politics. Yeah. Um, and usually it ends in a very large catastrophic fire that burns the, all the bridges for data science and business for a few years. Absolutely. And remember, you only got five more years to implement this stuff, so you can't hire the wrong head of data science the first time either. No. And so you need advice even in hiring your first data science. If you're going to set up from scratch, the first thing is you've got to get someone good to tell you who you need. Um, because if yeah. you don't take the best candidate that HR has worked out from, you're going to end up with exactly that, the lack of business acumen, the lack, or so much business acumen, you don't get anything done. Um, yep. The, that it's a, it's a weird catch-22. Yeah. I, I'm very lucky to have one of those unicorns that um, allows me to, uh, you know, our guy has been around for a very long time, has been in big business for a long time, understands um, how to talk to C-suite, how to get things powered through red tape and politics, um, but also understands how to do machine learning, how to understand how to do um, all of the data manipulation that comes with, oh, you got to marry a, a uh, NoSQL and a SQL database together and then do, you know, boosted tree uh, models on it. And then you have to put it in a visualization that a, that a, um, guy that hasn't had a single tech class in 25 years has to understand and, yeah. and buy off on and spend money on make decisions off of yeah it's it's um it's kind of simple but it's also exceptionally complex i think the the basically the decisions you have to make to even start up your own data analytics or even to bring in consultants or whatever you want to do um, so talk to me about, uh, what's one of my other questions here? Oh, your professional development. So you mentioned that you go to a couple of things and you've started your own data school. Is there something, what do you, how do you keep up to date? Uh, that's a great question. That's really hard because we're busy 
doing it for other companies. Um, but I think it's important to kind of keep your finger on it. And I, we do go to a couple different conferences. I've mentioned predictive analytics world. Uh, I like that conference. Um, Gartner's conference in Orlando this year was pretty good about data science. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been to big data summits. Um, Minneapolis has one called mini analytics. Uh-huh. So being an hour plane ride for most of these big cities where you get the fortune 500s, we can go and spend a week, a quarter, um, learning what some of the big dogs are doing, learning how they're implementing data science and not listening to the modeling pieces. That's very important, but really keying into how did you get this past um, C-suite? How did you get them to <laughs> yes. follow how did up you on this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to. Yeah. The implementation of it has become so important over the last year or two that I really, and I learned more from the table, you know, at breakfast and lunch and supper and the networking events where I get to ask a lot of questions of, oh, you work for a large company. How did you get them to buy off on the, on the, uh, on the model that you built? And the answers that they give are sometimes really fascinating and eye-opening of, oh man, I haven't even thought about that yet. Yeah. So it's not traditional professional development in that there's not a CE class to go take um, but there wouldn't. There be is one for some of my question. There isn't. How, how do you? How do you? That, that's that's kind of. Uh, that's another level above, isn't it? it really is. Um, I think we'll have that here shortly. I think there's a couple of us out there that are working towards figuring out what a um, an analytics certificate looks like and means. Mm-hmm. Um, what does a certified data scientist look like and mean? Uh, you know, I came, I actually was a geologist in my, my first career. Right. Yep. So I have a certified geologist uh, registration. I had one back in the day. I know there's professional engineer. I know there is a, uh, you know, there's CFA. There's yeah, all there's these series seven and stuff. For, there's agile one. Yeah, there's a PMP. There's an agile one. So we, and, and some of those technical ones, they, you know, they got a whole bunch, they got a group of, really smart people who practice in the industry together and said, okay, what do you think an agile search should be? I think it should be this. Me too, me too, me too. Cool. Um, and so it became an agile search. And I think we're, I think we're coming up on that, a chief data scientist certificate that will help a lot. Cause then you can actually do some of the, the CE credits. Uh, you can go to conferences and learn some of that, but we're a long way from the PMP of data science. Yeah. And that's still the hardest part of all this is I can find people who can do the skills. I can train you to do the skills. There are really great um, Springboard and Khan Academy and Data Camp and I don't know, there's a hundred of them. Yeah. Uh, online tools. There's lots of code schools like ours. Um, there are lots of college classes that you can just take either online or from Harvard or Stanford or Yale or any of the, the University of Chicago, right? They, they all have really good classes. So there's lots of places to go to get the technical aspect of this. The real problem and the real hard part of all this is how, how do you figure out the management of it? How do you figure out the implementation of it? Because that's not in a class currently that I've seen. Uh, and that's where the industry itself has to 
we've got to find a way to put that in some classes. We've got to find a way to train some of our mid-level journeyman data scientists, start teaching them and speaking to them about this is, this is what you do. This is how you get around politics. This mm. is how you get around red tape. Um, one of my podcast guests, Chris Carr, said that if he was building from scratch, he would start with business people and teach them data scientists. Sorry, teach, teach them data science, assuming that they have the, the skills because that way he gets the political acumen rather, rather than having to yeah. teach them. What do you think? Um, so that's actually the whole point of our academy. The, the point of the academy was not to replace uh, a college or university. Yeah. The point was to take somebody who has business acumen and, and, and retrace and teach them the skill set. So they get. So we, you know, our average age of someone going through the academy is probably 30, 35. Yeah. So they're, they're, they've got five to 10 years of business acumen. They've got, yeah. um, they understand a lot of that piece. So I completely agree with uh, that gentleman that uh, the best data scientists, I think, are those that actually came out of business had some business dealings, a data analyst or a business analyst, those yeah. guys that are, are uh, they're trained in how to make business decisions. They're trained in uh, figuring out business decisions. And then you backtrack them into a uh, technical degree almost. And, and you do it in such a way that it isn't theory, which I love college. I love that it teaches theory. You need that. Mm. But you, you all, the skill stuff doesn't need to be theory. The skill stuff is literally just a boot camp. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a code camp. It's a, it's a, yeah. a skill academy. Yeah. Provided they have the right mental architecture, it's reasonably easy for people to acquire it. Um, yeah. Go back to that very first discussion of you got to have the yeah. right mental makeup. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my kind of, my last question, because we're coming into about 40 minutes uh, is, um, What's your favorite charity? That's interesting. Um, we actually started a charity uh, way back in the day. I have a really good friend of mine. I didn't start the charity. Uh, a really good friend of mine that lost her sister to cancer. Yeah. And we, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I do a lot of charity events, charity golf tournaments and charity running. Um, but I'm a data scientist. Uh, you know, I sit behind the desk a lot. Uh, I am not the most athletic of individuals. <laughs> and so when they said, okay, let's do something charitable, but let's do it in a way like a run, but not running. Yeah. I said, okay, how about this? Uh, let's drink beer for charity. Oh, and I said, oh, now that, that's the ticket. So we actually started something called Crawl for Cancer. Yeah. Uh, we did like, I say we, I'm part of it. We did, I didn't start anything. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine named Samantha Green started it in 2001. She had lost her sister. She threw a pub crawl. We had, she had no idea it would become, uh, the thing that it is. And, and what is this? Um, we're almost 20 years later. We do it in 26 American cities. Wow. Um, we actually have the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest pub crawl, which I hear there's a group in Sydney that keeps trying to beat us. Oh, really? Uh, and, has, and, and can't or hasn't yet. So good luck, guys. I hope that uh, hope you do because we need a reason to redo it. Yes, exactly. Uh, and make it bigger <laughs> and better. Um, but yeah, we, we give to local charities that, uh, that make a difference. Um, and so we have Omaha and we've been in charge of Omaha for a number of years now. And we, every time we do it, uh, we have people that come up to us and they, they, they tell us 
it's a story about their dad or their grandma or their sister yeah. or their child. And this gives them a way to celebrate in a way that, uh, that they don't really get to do in a lot of these other formats. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really special. The, the people that we meet and, and the, the time that we get to give to this is you can't replace it. Um, you can, you can give all the money to all these places, but really what they need more than anything else is your time mm. and happy to donate just a boatload of time to this thing. So it's called crawl for cancer. Yep. Um, and it's, 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 uh, it's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. Well, that's kind of, that's where, where I usually say, thank you. Is there anything mm-hmm. you want to say before we finish up? Um, no, I've really enjoyed this. I think, uh, I think it's interesting to, you know, I work a lot in America. I work only almost uh, exclusively in America. I've done some work outside of, of the United States, but very uh, small amount. And it's always fascinating to see that it doesn't matter what kind of culture you come from. Mm-hmm. There's data-driven decision-making going on and trying to be started in all of these cultures and it's uh, it is a math is kind of the the cultural equalizer, right? Yeah. Two plus two is four, regardless of of uh, where you are. Of where you are, uh, we get to speak a common language, and it's it's really cool industry that we get to be in um, because I can have a conversation with somebody in Dubai, I can have a conversation with somebody in Thailand, I can have a conversation with somebody in Russia. And we're all talking about and doing the same types of things. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty cool. It's uh, cool. So it's been a pleasure to, uh, it, it's, it's always interesting because I'm in your past and you're in my future. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's the next day there. And to know that, you know, data science is still going strong tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, tomorrow we're still here. Yeah, absolutely. So lovely. Right. To you're still, still there. Um, we might speak again in a couple of months because I have a feeling that you will have more to say at some point. I am, uh, I never stop talking. That's, that's my biggest problem. Uh, <laughs> me love, neither. So you've done a love, great love. job to keep me talking less. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I love evangelizing this space. And um, anytime I get a chance to uh, give some ideas that hopefully help yeah. some, some companies further their data science along, help them figure out. I would love to feel a phone call or two of somebody who's like, I just can't figure this out. How, where do I go? How do I do this? Yeah. Um, we only charge for fingers on keyboards. So right. uh, when people call and, and I'd love to, to talk and I love to, uh, to help the community, whether that be Omaha, whether that be the United States or whether that be uh, in Sydney. So yeah, Excellent. wherever. And I, well, I will link to your LinkedIn profile, which will be put everybody in touch with you. Um, Thank you. Cool. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the consultant's consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, 
maybe a lot more than sometimes. It can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.